This is Marilyn Monroe Radio, the only weekly broadcast brought to you from the heart of Tinseltown, where we will revisit, re-examine, and reminisce about the life, films, career, and even the death of Hollywood's most beloved star, Marilyn Monroe. I'm your host, Samantha McLaughlin. Marilyn Monroe Radio is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please subscribe, download, review, and share this episode with your friends. For further information, go to MarilynMonroeRadio.com, where you'll find links in how to follow us on social media and various other information covered in this broadcast. If you would like to contribute, or if you have questions and comments, call the Marilyn Monroe hotline at 818-583-7630. This week, I've carefully selected many rare clips of those who knew Marilyn, such as co-stars, photographers, directors, and friends, just to name a few that I've compiled for you. It provides a unique perspective, or a slice of life have you, of what Marilyn allowed to be revealed in her professional and private life. I guess the importance of this episode is that we honor Marilyn's career and her extraordinary life. Enjoy. Aren't you here early? Oh, yes. Mr. Oxley's been complaining about my punctuation, so I'm careful to get here before nine. Soon you're like a baby. You want what you want when you want it. But after you are presented in such a way that the customers say that I certainly can. I'd answer you this way. Uh, Towards the end of her life, Marilyn was asked if she ever learned anything new about somebody writing about her, uh, excuse me, about herself in their writings about her. And she said, no, I usually learn more about the writer than I do about myself. Uh, I think we're all complicated. Uh, The Marilyn that I knew uh, doesn't fit the pattern of a lot of other people's Marilyns. I knew a very productive woman who was very, very busy in her life taking her acting lessons and doing the kinds of things that made her invention, meaning Marilyn Monroe, an even better presentation to her prospective audience. And she worked at that a lot. And uh, there was a period of a year, a year and a half, when I saw her on a daily basis. And the woman that I was visiting and seeing had nothing to do with the woman that was being written about in the press. As an example, uh, we spent an evening together once, and the following day I read in the newspaper that Marilyn Monroe had been in Chez Vito the previous night, a restaurant in the East 60s in New York City. She hadn't been at Chez Vito, but a lot of the stuff that accumulates about her comes from written materials that have nothing to do with her at all. Absolute respect to all the women in the world. I think of her as the last female. And what I mean by that is she was so extraordinarily feminine in her posture and her movements and her presentation. And she happened before the guys put on the earrings and carried the handbags. And there is a word in the dictionary, female, and there's a word feminine. And she represents that in an extraordinary way. And I think uh, in the way that we hold on to lots of things in our history, that's one of the clues to why we still hold on to Marilyn. 
So we hit it off in 1954. We became friends. And I suggested, let's do a book someday. And she said, sounds great. She says, I'd like to set the record straight. Yeah. All these lies that have been said about me. And she is the sweetest person. She worked so hard. She wanted to do everything right. She never hurt anybody. When I was with her, she was the kindest, sweetest right. person to everyone on the set. Be Well, I thought she was wonderful. It's just a gal who was, was late on the set, but at the same time, she was getting ready for Marilyn to be on the screen. She wanted her to be perfect at all times. Once she was there, she was cooperative. She was wonderful. She never gave anybody any trouble. She was a very giving performer, and in the footage, the eight or nine hours from Something's Got to Give, there are sequences where she's working with a little boy. It's his close-up. She's not on camera but she's working with him nonetheless. There are sequences where they're doing a close-up of a dog that's gonna wind up a couple of frames on film and she's doing the close-ups with the dog. She's not on camera. She's a very giving performer and there's a great clue to her talent and the measure of her talent in Niagara. Uh, the only role in which she ever played an amoral woman and when you watch Niagara, you cannot find a frame of the innocence and vulnerability that virtually cloaked her in professional and real life. So it says something about her talent. Well, what are you getting all dressed up for? I'm gonna pick up the bus tickets. Pick up the bus tickets? Well, buy them when we get to the terminal. I'm not gonna stand all the way to Chicago. I want reservations. Well, there are no reservations. We just go early and get aboard early. You're getting all dressed up to go out and buy tickets. Why? Where are you going? Here we go again. All right. I'm not going to the bus station. Does that make you feel any better? You smell like a dime store. I know what that means. Sure. I'm meeting somebody. Just anybody has... And I'd like to say that I think the reason she has lived on is that her vulnerability and her neediness mm -hmm. has touched a lot of people. That, she represented that quality that people have felt in themselves. And my experience with stars is that through all the pu publicity and the hype and everything, the public senses the essence of the person. And the essence of Marilyn was, she communicated a kind of truth. And truth is wow. very powerful. Don't love nobody, it's not worthwhile. All That whole first long thing was the first take. <laughs> Just to show you how things can happen. And it totally shocked me. It was the first take, straight through. Billy said print, and she said, I loved it too. And I thought, what happened? Because I was ready for to go all day. And uh, uh, it's, it's lucky I got all the words right, because I had learned to kind of pace myself with Marilyn, so you don't go by it, don't end up just exhausted and with your energy level weighed down as she began to, you know, pull it all together. Because uh, the day before, we had gone like 37 takes, and she had exactly two lines. Good. Where she walked in and said, uh, where's that bourbon? Oh, there it is. But it didn't feel right for her, you see. And we went 37 takes. 
And the one. next morning we came in, did the whole upper berth thing, that whole first take before he goes down to get the booze in one. And uh, she had it in the first crack, so you never know. by George Bowser, manager of the Fox West Coast Theatres, as they arrive to make their imprints in the famous concrete of Grauman's Chinese Theatre in Hollywood. Filmdom's first blonde and first brunette, Marilyn and Jane won their chance to join Filmdom's immortals by their work in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, the Technicolor adaptation of the sensationally humorous musical comedy stage hit. Well, I'd been working for a long time, and um, Marilyn didn't even have a dressing room on the 20th Century Fox lot. She'd already made Niagara, but oh, yeah. uh, uh, she didn't have her own dressing room, which is insane. And um, she got her first dressing room when we did Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. And she was uh, very sensitive. When I first met Marilyn, we were rehearsing the dancing, and uh, neither one of us were dancers. And Jack Cole would be very tough on his own dancers, but he was the patience of Job with us. He was so dear and so sweet, and he would do it over and over until we were doing it, you know, without even thinking, because <laughs> that was the only way we could do it. Very strange and wondrous feelings about Marilyn, and I think, honestly, she steals the picture. I really do. She is so good in it. She's so good at being Marilyn in it. Sit upon your knee. You grow 
inside of me. And she, she like, how can I explain it to you? She kind of glowed in the dark. I first saw her in person in the hairdressing department at Fox. I was doing something, like one of my girl pictures, like Golden Girl or the I Don't Care Girl, or Look Up in the Sky, It's a Girl, or you know, one of those things. And this girl came in, this girl came in, and she was all kind of very shiny, and she had like last night's makeup on, and she hadn't taken a shower, and I didn't know who she was, not much. And for somebody to come in the next day with last night's makeup on, I mean, puff, puff, yarn, we were really, I mean, insane with teehees. We didn't realize that she was up all night because she was learning her lines and, you know, suffering. She was, what she was doing, I think, was at that time beginning to create, in quotes, Marilyn Monroe. I think that uh, she was known as a dumb blonde. She was about as dumb as Winston Churchill. No, I mean it. She was, she knew what she wanted. She knew how to get it. But um, she was used. She gave and gave and gave and gave and gave. I guess you can tell from me talking about hers, I was maybe one of her biggest fans. Gallagher's has a little surprise for you tonight. A new young talent, Miss Victoria Hoffman. Come on, everybody. Let's give the little girl a great big welcome. you want you don't want it if I gave you the moon you'd grow tired of it soon you're like a baby you want what you want when you want it but after you are presented with what you want you're discontented you're always wishing and wanting for something when you get what you want you don't want what you get and though i sit upon your knee you grow tired of me When we, we did one picture in which she had a bit, she got $100 for one day's work. You can imagine how long ago this was. <clears throat> and uh, Lester Cowan, who was producing the picture, he called me up because I was going to do the scene with Marilyn. He called me up and he said, I wish you'd come over to the studio tomorrow to my office because we're going to try out three girls with a part in, uh, in this picture. I think it was called Love Happy or something. A terrible picture. So uh, I sat there with Lester and uh, the three girls were there. I was introduced to them. And he says, now the first girl walk. And she walked across from one end to the other. This is very nice. He says, now the second girl walk. And she did it too. And then he, the third one. He says, now you walk across. And he says, well, which one uh, do you like the best? I says, you're kidding, aren't you? Now, how can you take anybody except that last girl? Well, the whole room revolved when she walked, and it was Marilyn Monroe, and she got $100, and then we quit shooting at 5, 
and she got $25 extra for going to a couple of gas stations. They were plugging some kind of gas or something, which was part of the picture or something. And she got $25 extra for, they took snapshots of her from 6 to 8 o'clock. She's a wonderful girl, really. She's a very nice girl. What a ridiculous statement. Mr. Grenion, I want you to help me. I have a little sand left. What seems to be the trouble? Some men are following me. Really? I can't understand why. She knew exactly what to do. She'd studied herself from early childhood when she used to be left at the movies when her foster parents would drop her off on Saturdays to get her out of the way. She would then come back and look in the mirror and dream that she was a great star and when she was old enough she started applying makeup she was a very quick study she could learn very very rapidly whatever it was she wanted to know so that yes it's true that she was able to do things with her lips and her, and her eyes that she kept secret from her makeup man even she did photograph lighter most people photograph 10 pounds heavier she did it lighter and also there was this very faint down around the periphery of the face and it caught the light and there was kind of a halo it, it was softened the face and it sort of increased the look of blondness that was hers I think so. Something for yourself, cocktail party, opera. a beautiful orchid. Oh, the one in the box. That's an order. Oh, I've just got to tell this. You know there's a fellow comes in here every evening and sends one of them orchids to his girl? A real good customer. I'll say, and good looking, too. He should be here any minute. Lives in the hotel. He comes in every evening around six without fail. Pays cash, has it sent, and never signs his name to the card. How strange. And you know what? This'll kill you. He sends it to Peggy Martin, the burlesque queen, over at the Rome Theater. No. So help me. Can you imagine sending all them orchids to a burlesque queen? No telling about a man's taste, I always say. <laughs> well, dearie, have you made up your mind what kind of flowers you want? Oh, let me see. Oh, carnations. Okay. One dozen, two dozen. Oh, one will do. One dozen. No, no. Just one carnation. That'll be 10 cents, please. Thank you. Want me to put it in a box for you? No, thank you. I'll take it like this. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Nice day, wasn't it? Oh, very nice day. Yes, it was. You'll be sure to send this right away, won't you? Wouldn't you rather deliver it in person? No, thanks. I... Miss Martin. Yes. Well, aren't you going to give me the orchid? The orchid? Oh, yes, yes, the orchid. Thank you. Thank you. And your name's still not on the card? It's Randy. It's Randy what? It's Randy what? Oh, Randy Carroll. Nice to meet you, Mr. Carroll. Thank you. I've been planning for a week what I'd say when I met you. And what did you decide? I... I hadn't decided yet. Miss Martin, I... Oh, Miss Martin. Yes, Mr. Carroll? 
Would you go to dinner with me? I'd love to. Oh, so would I. Marilyn Monroe was like a, a little baby duck. She was sort of fuzzy and sweet and dear and lost. A few years ago, I met her teacher, used to teach her in fourth grade. Um, said she was very pretty and very sweet and very vulnerable. And she was. Ah. Feeling better, my dear? Like I just swam the English Channel. Now what? Your next move, it seems to me, should be towards television. I got to know her very well. We became good friends. She wanted very much to be respected as an actress. She came to New York and worked with the group, I mean, the uh, actor's studio. You see that man? That's Max Fabian, the producer. Now go and do yourself some good. Why do they always look like unhappy rabbits? Because that's what they are. Now go and make him happy. She was very ambitious, strong, uh, manipulative woman and did it well enough to to make her own production company this is why she was a role model for me i mean this is aside from my jealousy of her personally because she was getting more attention uh, from my father she was so likable and so simple by simple i mean it's she you know i sometimes think that the mark of a successful person is someone who's themselves with everybody whether it's the president or a bag lady on the street and Marilyn was like that. She had no pretensions. Marilyn didn't give a damn about. I mean, I think what Sinatra gave her some earrings. She threw them in, on the floor of her closet. This, she she sang diamonds are a girl's best friend, but she was not a material girl at all. Although that image, but remember that image was earning her money. Fascinating to me that Marilyn, in fact, for millions and millions of people who didn't know her, is more alive today than she was when she was alive. She's on more covers, she sells more books, more cups, more sun shields, you know, and she rises. It's interesting because she continues to rise above the level that everyone keeps trying to pull her down to why, how, who, all the kind of questions and the things, and there's some, the quality that she had, just, it's like, you know, a, you know, a lotus that grows in, that grows in the mud. On your humble flat, or help you at the automat. Men grow cold as girls grow old, and we all lose our charms in the end. But square cut or pear shape, these rocks don't lose their shape. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. If I am a star, the people made me a star. There was no studio and no person. Uh, the people made me a star. But stiff back or stiff knees, you stand straight and stiff knees. Diamonds. 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 Very young and struggling 
We used to sit in Schwab's drugstore and fantasize about the future. And both of us, uh, along with uh, having uh, glorious uh, careers and Oscars, of course, wanted the perfect husband uh, with perfect children. Marilyn had very little self-worth. She didn't trust uh, that she could do something by herself. And so very early in her career, she began to get coaches. When we went to the actor's lab, which was behind Schwab's, uh, and I took classes there, uh, she would sit uh, when she was allowed to in back of the theater and watch, and watch, she watched great actors from the group theater in New York, but she didn't even think that she was good enough to, uh, to take classes. She uh, uh, respected intellect, all the, uh, I was busy going out with handsome uh, young movie stars. She was attracted, maybe father figures, but certainly older men who were very smart. We were blonde Hollywood babies, but it wasn't sad when we began to get good roles. It was the most glorious and wonderful thing. We had fun and all this stuff about being doomed and um, uh, having a miserable life is totally untrue. It was exciting and wonderful, and she got a used black Cadillac and drove people around, and I had a new white Cadillac that Paramount got from me wholesale, $2,500 with everything on it. And we really had fun. At one point, we used to pick up our unemployment checks and go to the racetrack and bet $2, you know, bet about $6 all day long. Even now, I, I watch people watching her films, and they become alive and... Uh, uh, she, she uh, had that quality, uh, an earthy, just magic. That's why it's still there on the screen. Yes, just watch the fur fly as the most talked about girls in Hollywood go out loaded for big game. Monroe, Grable, and Bacall adding their own wonderful dimensions to the eye-filling dimensions of CinemaScope giving the world an earful in Cinemascope's new stereophonic sound, letting you in on the grand and glorious adventures of three fascinating females who pooled their beauty in the greatest plot against mankind since Helen of Troy, Marie Antoinette, and Venus de Milo. Well, she, she was a star then. Uh, she got first billing then in that movie. So she'd already made it, but she was growing still. I didn't have a sense of that. And I don't know whether she was, some people say she was always nervous about coming onto the set. That's why she was always late. She always had the makeup man there with her. And she had the coach on the set standing behind the director all the time. And at the end of a take, she'd look at the coach and the coach would say, and so Marilyn would say, I have to do that again. We have to do it again. And when she played a scene, she looked here, she never, never looked into your eyes. Hi, you Shotzi. Well, I'll be a monkey's uncle. Congratulations, honey. We read about it on the plane. I think it's just creamy. You know how much he's got? How much? Fifteen mil. Rather. Give or take a mil. Have you been shopping yet? When they open the doors, I fall in. But she was... She was sweet. And uh, we went to the uh, opening together. She sure registered on that screen. I mean, the minute, boy, that camera turned on her, she became this incredible creature. She was. No question about that. 
I mean, here she was in this movie with Grable and myself. Betty Grable was the most marvelous, down-to-earth, easygoing, great girl. She was painting Marilyn's toenails for the scene when we were all sitting around in the fashion show. She, I mean, you know, the fact that she was laying on the set got to be annoying sometimes. Too many takes for a scene was annoying sometimes. But it was not of meanness. It wasn't to get even or to annoy the, the woman you were in the scene with. Well, it had nothing to do with it. She just didn't connect with anybody, but she was just herself. And she was absolutely dazzling as herself. It was a rainy evening, and uh, I was brought in with two of my colleagues from the magazine. And she was actually, uh, it was on Doheny Drive, a small, very small place on Doheny Drive. And uh, you wouldn't imagine it was where a superstar lived. It was like a, a deluxe hotel room with a little kitchenette at the side. She was wonderful. She was not like the Marilyn I expected. She was easy and light and almost playful and uh, very disarming for me. Uh, you know, what I had in mind and hoped for as a young photographer was to get something really sizzling, but I was almost embarrassed to say that. And uh, we talked about different things, Marilyn, myself, and my two colleagues from the magazine. And uh, she said at the end, I know what we need, Douglas. We need a bed, a white silk sheet. And, and that evening she said, as we were preparing, I want white silk sheets, Frank Sinatra records, and Dom Perignon champagne. Prepared all of that. And uh, about four days later, we were there in the room with all of these things. And of course, Nashville, Marilyn was a couple of hours late. She was more than flirtatious. You know, I did not say, Marilyn, turn this way, turn that way. I didn't. I just, she was in the bed. I was looking down on her from up above. And Marilyn made these pictures. I mean, I had everything technically right. And I had my, it was my Hasselblad and click, click, yeah. click, like that. But. It was Marilyn Monroe who really created these images. She was very seductive. She had a knowledge of what makes a man tick. I mean, things she learned from the ground up. And men could see that she knew and could play their game. And that's what attracted them to her, beside the fact that she was quite beautiful, quite beautiful. Well, there was something honeyed about her, uh, something, uh, something fetching. Uh, her, her very, uh, her smile and and her conscious sexuality she was a, a gifted comedian, in my opinion. There's no question about that. She understood comedy. She had developed herself. Nobody gave her that peculiar, those, those marvelous mannerisms, the 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 thin, high voice, the the funny look, I don't, whatever was Marilyn, you know, that uh, people imitate and never quite come up to. That was all her. Because usually when people find out who I am, they get themselves a wheelchair, a shyster lawyer, and sue me for three-quarters of a million dollars. Don't worry, I won't sue you no matter who you are. Thank you. Who are you? No, really. Shocker! Come on! Honestly. Cheerio. 
I seen you somewhere before? Not very likely. You staying at the hotel? Not at all. Your face is familiar. Possible you've seen it in the newspapers or magazines, um, Vanity Fair. That must be it. Would you mind moving just a little, please? You're blocking my view. Your view of what? They run up a red and white flag on the yacht when it's time for cocktails. You own a yacht? Which one is it? The big one? Certainly not. With all the unrest in the world, I don't think anybody should have a yacht that sleeps more than 12. I quite agree. Tell me, who runs up that flag? Your wife? No, my flags do it. Who mixes the cocktails? Your wife? No, my cocktails do it. Look, if you're interested in whether I am married or not... Oh, I'm not interested at all. Well, I'm not. That's very interesting. How's the stock market? Up, up, up. I bet while we were talking, you made like $100,000? Could be. Uh, you play the market? No, the ukulele. And I sing, too. For your own amusement? A bunch of us girls are appearing at the hotel. Sweet Sue and her society syncopated. Oh, your society girl. Oh, yes, quite. You know, Bryn Moore, Vassar. We're just doing this for a lark. Syncopated. Does that mean you play that very fast music, uh, jazz? Yeah, real hot. <laughs> Brother, what a day. I nearly hit a mountain back there. Cylinder cut out just at the bottom of a dive. Squirting oil. Boy, that's the closest I ever come, I tell you. Listen, you want me to stop this? I know how you feel, Rosalind. I never liked this part myself. Truthfully, the only part I enjoyed is the flying. You want me to stop it? You would? You're through with Gay now, right? Well, tell me. He doesn't know what you're all about. He'll never know. Tell me, Rosalind. I've been waiting. I'm going out of my mind with waiting. Come back with me. Give me a week, two weeks. Let me show you what I am. Tell me, Rosalind. Give me a reason and I'll stop it. There'll be hell to pay, but you give me a reason, I'll do it. You, a sensitive fellow, so sad for his wife, crying to me about the bombs you dropped and the people you killed. You have to get something to be human. You never felt anything for anybody in your life. All you know is the sad words. You could blow up the world, and all you would feel is sorry for yourself. success of, of Monroe, I think, was that uh, she did not infuriate the female. By that I mean if, uh, if, if I told my wife after I uh, worked or saw a picture with Monroe, let's say, she said, my God, I'm crazy about her. She says she would understand it, but if I told her, boy, God, do I wish I, I could spend the night with Farrah Fawcett uh, Major, she would hit me in the mouth. She looked for love as anyone does who wants something simple out of life, and I believe she did. She didn't particularly care for money. She didn't particularly want to collect things. And I think she wanted to be married and have children. Some people could talk their way into her and get a lot of things from her just by giving them a sad story. 
And well, a lot of them did when we first started. She gave one a car for a while, her own car, 41 Pontiac, I remember it. I mean, that was back in the early days, you know, and uh, Marilyn and Honey was a stock kid. She didn't make that any money like that. I'd say, well, Marilyn, why do you have to do this this way? Because it costs a great deal of money. She said, don't worry, it's tax deductible. Everything was tax deductible, she thought. Had no idea about money, none. There was a sort of a childishness about her that you, you felt that she should be protected uh, from, from anything that could be disturbing to her. In California, there's a law that a child who has been abandoned before the age of 16 has no responsibility to their parents. But Marilyn never shirked the responsibility when she was making $250 a week. She was paying for her mother's care. She was just a perfectionist the way she wanted herself to be, acting-wise, singing-wise, anything else. That's the only reason these coaches, and you know, got to her and she worked with them so much because they thought, she thought they could improve her so much. And if she would have just been her cute little self, she would have been so much better. She would watch, it was a very observant attendee. Once she did a scene, once. She did a scene from um, O'Neill's Anna Christie. And it was lovely, lovely to watch. Uh, very vulnerable, very sensitive. And it was her birthday, June 1st. That was also the birthday of my daughter, young teenager. She said, I'd like to take Edie to the circus. He brought me down to her hotel room, and uh, she got ready to go. And we went to the circus, and I was very shy. <laughs> and it was very hard for me to talk to her. And I, I guess she, she acted shy, too. And um, she was just very sweet and very gentle with me. And we went to the circus, and she said if anyone uh, would recognize her, then there would be a big mob around us so that I shouldn't call her Marilyn. And if I had to address her, to call her, um, hey, you, or hey, there, or hey, Steph. See, one of your most famous jump pictures must be the one of Marilyn Monroe. Yes, it has been used as a cover. It has been used as a cover. It has been used as a poster and so on. Yeah, that's the one with her fist clenched and yes, her feet it's are very interesting. Her, and her it's head is straight up in a kind yes. of static look. Yes. She projects ecstasy. But the hands, the cr cramped hands, indicate how tense she is actually and how much she works on projecting something that she doesn't actually feel. Mm. And the feet tucked up under her? It's the childishness of her. Yeah. Because actually she was not a, a, a love goddess. She was a kind of a woman, ch child woman, and inside a frightened human being. Yeah. I said, I'd like to have a read for us. And uh, she did, read beautifully. I remember she, um, if you recall the role in the film, she played most of the part on a sofa. And um, there was no sofa in the room. And um, so she got down on the floor and... Um, did it very well. I instantly said yes, by all means. This was the first role I think Marilyn had ever played. Her interpretations, everything, perhaps more than I'd expected.
What's the big idea standing there staring at me, Uncle Lon? Don't call me Uncle Lon. I thought you liked it. Maybe I did. I don't anymore. I had the market send over some salt mackerel for you. I know how you love it for breakfast. Some sweet kid. It's late. Why don't you go to bed? She was wonderful in the scene. But good as she was, I had no idea that she would ever attain to the figure, the image for a whole country and a whole world that eventually she did. Well, by the time I actually got around to meeting Marilyn, she was already something, at the beginnings at least, of a legend. I knew that she was going to appear in uh, the movie of my play, The Seven-Year Edge. I knew her, her genuine almost childlike passion for pets and animals. And I knew that she would, she would identify not with the victims of the creature of the Black Lagoon, but with the creature from the Black Lagoon itself. Didn't you just love the picture? I did. But I just felt so sorry for the creature at the end. Sorry for the creature? Why'd you want him to marry the girl? He was kind of scary-looking, but he wasn't really all bad. I think he just craved a little affection, you know, a sense of being loved and needed and wanted. That's a very interesting point of view. <laughs> oh, do you feel the breeze from the subway? Isn't it delicious? just didn't all happen real easy. She just didn't walk on a set, and they said, roll them, and uh, she did it. It took a lot of time, a lot of rehearsing, and to, to create that whole image, and to create that kind of wonderful sort of thing that she did. When we were at Fox and we were, we were rehearsing, I remember we went out to dinner, and we were talking about acting, you know, and about where, where we were going to go, and what was going to happen maybe in the future, and would we... You know, would we ever get that? Would we ever make it? That kind of thing. And my God, you know, it's incredible when you think that all of a sudden, like that, boom, off she went. That's where we're back at the studio. We're doing the interior stuff, and uh, there's a guy with a fire hose, you know, and it's a 75-pound uh, stream. And he's hitting me on the gusset with this thing, and he's trying to knock us off the raft. But anyway, it's... Time, take after take after take. This guy's in the water all the time. And Marilyn said, they, they got to, wait a minute, she said, he's turning blue, they got to get him out. You know, said, turn a blue. She said, you look at him, the water's gotten to him, the cold, he's freezing. I said, I hope he, can I hope he never sings again. And she, and she insisted they get rid of him and bring another guy. You know. Hi. Hi, friend. Pretty elegant, aren't they? Got to take care of them. They're all I got left. Why did you get married? I fell in love. How do you know when you fall in love? I don't know. Can't eat or sleep. Like an ache in the stomach? Same thing. Only in the heart. You'll find out when you get older. How old are you? That's no question to ask a lady. Not that I'm a lady. Why aren't you? See me in about 10 years, I'll try and tell you. I said you were beautiful, and he said beauty was skin deep. 
hooded. Matt, my dad, he said it was an old saying. It's an old saying by an old crow. When did you lose your mother? It was while Dad was away. That's why he sent for me. Are you going to look for gold? I could stand a little. What would you do with it? Do with it? Oh, buy fancy gowns. Live in the swell hotels in the big city. Go to the opera. What's that? That's music. Very high-toned and fancy. Not like mine. I like yours. Would you sing one? I might have one for you, if I can remember it. It was a long time ago. When Mr. Southwind sighs in the pine, old Mr. Winter whimpers and whines. Down in the meadow, under the snow, April is teaching green things to grow. When Mr. Westwind hums in the glade, old Mr. Summer nods in the shade. Down in the meadow, under the brook, catfish are waiting for the hook. Blackbird flirts with the scarecrow. Scarecrow is waving at the moon. Old Mr. Moon makes hearts everywhere go bump, bump with the magic of tune. All right, come again. When Mr. Eastwind shouts overhead, then all the leaves turn yellow. Stocks are high, pumpkins are ripe and ready. There was something that Marilyn used to say before every take, and it was the way some of us, let's say, would say a prayer. She would say, hold a good thought for me. And I looked around at all these millions of people who never knew her, and they are holding a good thought for her. She would love it. This August 4th is the date that I pay tribute, with two dozen red roses and one white rose, which represents Marilyn. I stood at her crypt, looking at the bronze marker with her name, Marilyn Monroe, and below her name, the years 1926-1962. While many will focus and debate the death of Marilyn, but it's the dash that she would want to be remembered for because she was much more than just how she died. I have to admit that I've only watched The Misfits in its entirety only once as a young girl. Through the years, I've watched selected clips, but it's too painful to watch because, in a sense, I don't want to say goodbye. Although, this year, I've made a commitment to watch it again in its entirety tonight. Each August, it's hard not to feel melancholy about her untimely passing. But each year we should set aside the theories and the debating about the circumstances surrounding her death and allow her some peace, especially during August, and offer Marilyn our good thoughts and our love. There are millions of us, millions, 
from the new and longtime admirers, most of whom have never met or were even born while she graced this earth. It is my most sincere hope that the purest of this love reaches her and ensures her that we celebrate her life and that we will never forget her. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned to next week's show for when we'll have more about our favorite icon. Until next time, cheers. Someone you love 